0: We're starting this brand new series. It's called Promises, Promises. And promises are a really big deal. And they're a big deal because we kind of lean into them in every part of our lives. Now granted, you probably know a few people that when they think about promises, they associate them with rules, and rules are meant to be broken, promises are meant to be broken. But really for us, I mean, promises for most of us is a really big deal. Now you've experienced this if you have children, because maybe you said to one of your kids, hey, we're going to go ride our bikes or go to the Park, or we're gonna get ice cream, and when you said that, they asked you the question, Do you promise? Do you promise? Because they really wanted you locked down on if we're really gonna do it with them, right? Now, maybe that's because we didn't follow through last time we said it, and so they're trying to get us to promise. And if you grew up in middle school, you know, 30 years ago, like I did, you then went after the promise to the pinky swear. And oh man, I don't know if they still do this, but the pinky swear, where if you locked pinkies and you promised and you swore on your pinkies, it was like a blood oath. Because promises are a really big deal. There's such a big deal that this is why we have legal documents for everything in our world. Because so many promises get broken, we have to verify it with tr- contracts and documents, and that's smart. But if you ever close on a home loan or bought a house, I mean, you've got to cut down ten trees to get through all the paperwork. And what's so interesting for you know, people like me, that the older I get, the realize I get more cynical when it comes to believing people's promises. So I want it in writing. I want proof. It's interesting one of the other things that we find in our culture all the time is this 100% money back guarantee. You know, you order from Amazon, you go to Best Buy, you go to Home Depot. You want to see that we promise you, we guarantee you can have your money back if our product fails. Now, I thought about this. Maybe you got invited to join us online and you didn't really want to, but you told somebody, "Okay, I will give up 30 minutes of my time and listen to a message, but I want my money back if it was not worth the investment." I really hope it is, but really when it comes to all this, promises are the currency of our relationships. They're invisible currency of trust and love when we keep them, and when we don't, man, things just go in a little bit of a negative direction. And you know this, that the deeper the relationship that the deeper the level of connection, the deeper the promise goes. I mean, my promise to my wife is a whole lot different than the promise I make to the mailman. I mean, they both should be honored. But when I promise someone that's close to me, like my kids or, or some friend of mine that I'm really good friends with, those are deep promises that really, really matter. Now other promises let us down, even though they're not quite as heavy. I mean, years ago when Krispy Kreme was at its peak, I don't know if you remember this, but Krispy Kreme, when they had fresh donuts, they would um, light up their Krispy Kreme sign and you could run over and you would get a one free donut anytime they lit up that sign. Well, when my kids were young and we were kind of scrapping for money, didn't have a lot, we were walking out of the Jefferson Mall and across the parking lot, the Krispy Kreme glorious sign lit up and I picked up my kids and we ran across to get the free donut that was fresh off the press. And we got in there and this teenage kid looked at me and says, oh, we turned on the sign by accident. There are no donuts in the store right now. And I'm telling you, I wanted to bear hug him and throw him on the ground he broke his promise of a free Krispy Kreme donut. I mean, it just heartbreaking. I mean, it's literally why we spend all the money we do to take our children to Disney. Because Disneyland promises us an experience that will we'll last and remember for a lifetime. Maybe for you, you were going to buy the six-cylinder engine in the car that you bought. But the promise of eight cylinders and power and prestige, you decided to go that route. I mean, you thought you could settle for one bathroom or one and a half bathrooms in your house, but the promise of more happiness with three bathrooms just sucked you in. And, and, and those are real things and those are big things. But when you level up to someone that you really care about or you thought cared about you and they told you, I'm going to be there. You can count on me. I'll be faithful. When those promises are broken, I mean, it wounds in a way that it's hard to describe and hard to explain. And this is what we know, that we all move in the directions of the promises we believe. Isn't it true that when you trust someone or you trust something and they promise you something and you believe it, you go in that direction. But when you stop believing in those promises, you go in the other direction, I know as a pastor and doing what I've done for so many years, I have seen men and women rise up in their promise keeping as heroes. I have seen dads that love their kids and are consistent with their promises that have changed the course of their kids, their step kids, their adoptive kids. It has been absolutely amazing. And I've seen Moms do the exact same thing. I've seen church volunteers that just said, I'm going to make a promise to be committed to my local church. And we've seen lives change over and over and over again. Same in marriages, same with parenting. It's just an incredible thing to see. But we've also seen the devastation of when trusted people break their promises in our families, in our marriages, and in our relationships. And it's heartbreaking to see that devastation what happens in a broken promise in any relationship is you start to question trust in the future. Well, we're talking about this, guys, because in this series, Promises, Promises, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about two promises when it comes to God that we think are rock solid promises that we can stand on every day of our lives. Because this really comes down to the question of, do I trust God? Do I trust God? And sometimes it's easy to trust God, other times it's very difficult to trust God, and we wanna get down to the root of, if I don't trust God, why don't I? And if you're jumping on, and you're not sure about God and his existence, I mean, you're just like, ah, I'm not down with the Bible and church people at all, but you still have questions about God, I think it's worth digging into, do I trust God? And if I don't, why? And maybe you're like me, you've been doing the faith journey for a really long time, I trust God, but how come I don't trust him more? And if you have to jump off you know, in, immediately, I wanted to give you the bottom line for this whole series, and that is growing in our faith is not about making more promises. So if you're nervous about, hey, Matt's gonna ask us to promise and commit and make oaths and I'm gonna do it this time, God, that is not what this series is about. It's not about you and I making more promises to God, but believing more in the promises of God, holding on to the things that God said you can trust about him. And again, maybe you're here and you're you're tuning in to a church experience after a really long time because once upon a time you tried to trust God and you felt like God did not come through. I mean, you prayed harder than you had ever prayed. I mean, you were on your knees begging for God to do something in a situation. Maybe it was a really difficult situation. And at the end, there was no change at all. And you asked the question, does God care? Does God exist? Does God really hear my prayers? And you felt like maybe he didn't and you backed away from a relationship with your heavenly father. Maybe you had some circumstances in your life that you never trusted God at all because of what you saw in this world. And you just decided, if God created a world like that, I'm not going to trust God in any way, shape, or form. Let me tell you, as a, as a follower of Christ, I've experienced those things. And I totally understand. And let's just be honest, Christians don't always make this easier. Because we throw out cheap things like, hey, just have more faith or believe more or pray harder. But that doesn't always make it work out like we want to make it work out. But I just want you to know, if you will hang in there, if you will lean in, we believe there's a relationship with God that can be based on real trust and real love and a promise that is fulfilled. If you've ever felt that way, like, God, are you really there and are you really coming through? You need to know that the great men and the women of the scriptures, of our faith, had those same questions. Abraham, you may know him, you may not. Abraham and Sarah were promised a huge family. And to have a son, to you know, get the family moving. And they waited, and they, wait, and they waited so long. Past the time you were supposed to be able to have children, they thought God must have forgot us and abandoned us. And then at about 90 some years old, they had a baby. And it changed the world. And the Savior of the world came through their lineage. It's it's absolutely amazing. Moses was told, hey, you're going to lead God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses led them out of Egypt. And then they wandered around the desert for a whole bunch of years. And Moses never got to go into the promised land himself. And Moses asked the question, you know, God, are you still there? Are you still working? Are you still with us? Do you still care about me? But eventually God's people marched into the promised land. David was promised to be the great king of Israel, and Israel would be a great nation. But when he was younger, he was hunted down by the current king, Saul, almost lost his life over and over, and he asked the question, God, are you going to keep your promise? One day, David became king, and the savior of the world came from his lineage. It's it's amazing. And we could tell that story of almost every follower of Jesus in the New Testament scriptures. But I decided, let's talk about John. And not John as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four gospel writers. But John the Baptist, who's an extraordinary character. And his life is documented in the New Testament. Now, John's mother, Elizabeth, was visited by an angel, Gabriel. It's this crazy, amazing story. And Gabriel told Elizabeth and her husband, you're going to have a child. It's going to be John. He's going to do great things preparing the way for Jesus. And it's funny because that same angel visited Mary, Jesus' mom. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And so John is raised in this household where he's talked, told about his purpose, sent from God over and over and over again. And when he's old enough, he goes out into the wilderness just to prepare for this making the way for the Lord. And then he finally emerges and he's in a wild eyed, crazy man with crazy hair, crazy clothes. He eats locusts, he eats honey. It's an interesting little detail. And he begins to preach about repenting and baptizing and turning people to God to get ready for what's about to come. And they finally ask John, John, who are you? And John tells us, he replied, In the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the path. Of the Lord, I'm carving out a path for the one who's coming behind me, for Jesus, for the Messiah. And this confused the religious leaders because how could this wild-haired crazy man who said these ridiculous things like repent be the one that's preparing the way for the, from the Lord? And other people didn't understand because so many people in this day had given up that God cared or God was still active or God was going to do what he had promised to do. This is what we're told the next day. John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, now just to paint the picture, you know, he's in the water, he's baptizing people, and he looks up on the shore and Jesus is standing on the shore. And what comes out of his mouth is so confident, it's so amazing, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Reference the fact that lambs were sacrificed for the forgiveness of people in the Jewish religious system. But this would be a lamb that would die for the sins once and for all who takes away the sin of the world. It's absolutely amazing. He goes on. This is the one. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John proclaims Jesus was here before me and he's greater than me and I am so confident in that. I trust in that beyond anything else I know in my life. I know that. I know it. I know it. But hang on because John's about to run into something that maybe you've run into and I've run into. He says, I myself I myself know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This is why I came. I'm going to make sure everybody knows that this guy is the real deal. Well, how do you know, John? Well, I'll tell you how I know. An angel told my mama. I spent years in the desert, and God somehow spoke to me directly. I am so assured of this. I'm so confident. And now the Lamb of God is right there. I'm betting my whole life on Jesus. Then John, we're told, gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit, and this is amazing, come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I saw the supernatural act with my own eyes. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me, he's talking about God sending him directly to be baptized with water, told me the man On whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John simply is saying, I've come to baptize with water. It was just a way to show the world that I'm turning towards God. But Jesus is coming with the Spirit. He's coming with love and fire and power that would do so much more than the world has ever seen. And he wraps it all up. He says, I have seen and I testify that God's chosen one, this is God's chosen one. I mean, because you just can't overexpress how sold out John the Baptist is. And he may have said, hey, Frank, hey, Frank, you know the other day when you said God had forgot about us? Well, he has showed up and there he is in Jesus. Hey, hey, Fred, you know, you you said God doesn't exist because there's no proof of it. There's one standing in our midst, and his name is Jesus. That is proof that all things are coming together. And Martha, Martha, you just said God doesn't love us anymore. We're about to see love that has never been seen on the earth before. And there will be a day, and it's not too far away where you have proof, above all proof that Jesus is who he says he is, that the promise of God is kept, It will almost be like a dead man coming back to life. That kind of proves. So let me just recap this. John has baptized Jesus. Heaven has opened up and he's heard the voice of God. He was told by his mama his whole life of what he would do. He was convinced. Now in this moment, people start following Jesus, which John is totally fine with because that's what he came to do. And Jesus goes into his ministry, healing people and doing miracles and loving people that no one else loved. Jesus dove into people's messes of their lives, and he started marching towards the cross. But for John, things start to go incredibly bad. You see, at the time, there was a king, um, a local king. His name was Herod. And he was doing some really dark stuff. And because John was crazy and wild-eyed, he'd say what was on his mind. He called the king out. And the king had John jailed in prison. And now things have gone in a terrible direction. Now he's desperate. And Matthew, who records this part of Jesus' journey, says this. That when John, who was in prison, just imagine this. He's gone from baptizing the Son of God to prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. He's got a question to ask him. And the question he's got to ask Jesus is in the context of I'm in prison, the food's terrible, there's almost none of it, there are rats, there are diseases, and they are pulling people out in the courtyard and chopping off their heads almost daily, and people are dying around me. It is a desperate time. I've gone from 60 to zero in a heartbeat. And now Jesus, I've got a question for you. There's something I need to know. And this was the question. Are you the one who's to come? Because I'm not so sure right now. Are you the one who you said you were? Are you the one who I said you were? Because in light of all my circumstances, I'm not sure I can even take another breath in the pain and desperation I've got. Or should we expect someone else. In other words, I'm kind of hoping for someone else, Jesus, because you're not coming through for me in this moment. It is a gut level, honest declaration question from John the Baptist. Now here's the interesting part. If anyone should believe in the promises of Jesus, it was John An angel talked to his mama. He saw heaven open up and God speak to Jesus himself. I mean, he should have faith beyond faith that is never shaken. But his rough, detrimental, desperate circumstance rattle his faith, just like it would rattle yours and just like it would rattle mine. Prison, the threat of death, terrified him into feeling like, God, maybe you don't really exist. In fact, it made John question God's faithfulness in the moment. Think about this, and this is such an interesting thing. John, who'd been faithful his whole life to God, now sits in prison under the threat of death, and Jesus is spending time loving and healing and forgiving sinners. It should tell you a little bit about the heart of Jesus. In fact, the man who wrote this gospel of Matthew was a tax collector. And nobody hated the tax collectors more than Jesus' own people, the Jewish people. And yet Jesus marched up to Matthew and said, Matthew, in light of all your sin and all your darkness, did you want to follow me? And I'm sure John heard about it and he scratched his head and said, How can how can Matthew, you know, get to spend time with Jesus and I'm John the Baptist and I'm in prison? I don't understand. It doesn't feel like that promise is what it should be. And here's what we learned from John. And don't be hard on John, because we've all been there. This is what we learned: that a fragile, a fragile faith is attached to our presumptions. It just is. And every time I've presumed to tell God of what he should do and how he should do it, my faith gets sh- shaky and it gets fragile because I have a script for God and what I think God ought to do. But here's the thing. But a stable faith is attached to God's promises. And this is what God promised John. I'll love you and I'll be with you and I have a plan for your life. The actual promises of God. And when we move away from those our faith gets rattled. Now, parents, you understand this, because maybe you said something to your little one or your teenager, like, "Hey, we're going to get ice cream," and your your little one said, "I can have as thought, thought you said I can have as much ice cream as I want," and when you said one scoop or two scoops, they freaked out and they said, "You promised! You promised!" Well, that's kind of the way it goes with us and God. I think we want to hear what we want to hear, and then when it doesn't happen like we want to hear it, we freak out a little bit. You got, you got a middle school girl. You say, well, you can date, we'll talk about you dating when you're 16, and then she turns 16, and she's like, I can date whoever I want now. And as a dad, you're like, no, 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 that is not what I meant. But she said, you promised, you promised. No, no, I said, we talk about it. And as a parent, you've experienced that. Well, my friends, in the next two weeks, we're going to just simply talk about that. We're going to dig in. We're not going to answer all these questions today. It's why you've got to tune in next week because we're going to figure out where do, what do we do with those promises when they feel like they didn't, they're didn't, they not coming through like we thought. And here's what you need to know. The Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, he said all the promises of God were fulfilled in Jesus. And the question for me and the question for you is what do we do with that? And we're going to dig in on what we do with that. And what it might mean for you and me is We've got to forgive some people that broke promises to us. We've got to let go of some things that we're holding against people and holding against God. And we've got to lean in and trying to figure out if we can work it out and figure it out. And if you're new to faith, if you're just exploring it, it might just mean you have to open up your heart and inspect what's going on inside you. And maybe look up a little bit. So there's just two questions I want us to end with today that I think would be good for us to dig in at the beginning of the series. And the first is, what unresolved broken promise are in my past? What unresolved broken promises are in your past? Because you, you may have had a broken promise from a father, a friend, a spouse, and here's what you know and I know, that affects our faith. That affects how we see God. And when I can't believe anybody else's promises, I tend to put that on God also. So I just want you to ask that question. If you're in a small group, I would love for you to ask that question in your small group. The second question is this. What area of my life do I have difficult times surrendering to God? And this is really true for all of us. What area of my life do I have a difficult time surrendering to God? Maybe for you, it's in your relationships. I mean, you feel like maybe God has a path for your relationships. You're like, no, God, I'm going to keep that for myself. Maybe it's in your finances, because there's such great direction for how we handle our money from saving and spending and being generous. And we're like, no, God, I don't really trust you in that area of my life, so I'm going to hold that to myself, no matter what you promise Maybe for you, it's a career. Maybe for you, it's your fear. I mean, you know you should give up your fear to God or at least try, but for some weird reason, your fear is like a warm blanket around you and you just can't let go. Maybe it's your morality. I mean, you know that God would say, hey, maybe there's a better way to live your life when it comes to your morality, your sexuality, and how you conduct your life. And we view that so often with God, like, God, you're trying to keep me from something good. But what if the promise is, now I love you. And I gave you this path because I don't want you to hurt you, and I don't want you to hurt the people around you. So what things in your life is it difficult for you to trust God with? Now, here's the thing. John the Baptist, when he was walking out to that courtyard and knocked down to his knees and his body laid over the stump where his head was about to be removed from his shoulders... I am sure he was like, God, what are you up to? Did you forget? Did you leave? Are you there? And as that ax fell, it had to be a terrifying experience and it should be. But I also know this, when John opened his eyes and he opened his eyes in the kingdom of heaven and he saw all good and all love and all of God's glory and all the things that God had for him, all of God's promises were fulfilled in that moment because he could see it clearly. My friends, the promise of God is eternal life with him on this earth and in the next life to come. And maybe you've experienced this. When my grandparents passed away and they were at a great old age, and they're in their 90s, I still felt like, hey, this isn't right. This isn't right. But they're experiencing all the promises of God in this moment. When my dad passed away in his 70s, which was way, way too young, we were so heartbroken, and we didn't know how to breathe in the next weeks to follow. We just didn't. And then I realize that my father is experiencing all the promises of God in their fullness and in God's glory. And someday I am confident that I'm going to stand next to my dad in heaven and we're going to experience that together. I just can't see it as clearly now, but I can trust in it. And it all comes from the fact that Jesus, who was baptized by John, for John, and you and I went to the cross, And he gave his life for all of our sins, which is absolutely amazing. Just to tie this up, I want to go back to our bottom line, and it's this, that growing in our faith is not about making more promises to God. It's just not. But believing more in the promises of God. And we're going to talk about that next week, so do not miss next Sunday. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for the story of John the Baptist and Jesus and the faith that comes with it. And for everybody that's been listening today that feels heartbroken over a promise from a person, a relationship, or maybe in their relationship with you, Jesus, that a promise didn't come through, that we could dig into this, we could work through it. And Lord, come out on the other side with more trust and more love in our life from you. Thanks for being so patient. And going to the nth degree that we would know we could trust you, Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen.